When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. Somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Smart Strong features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart pain. Okay, so welcome back everybody to the Smart Strong podcast. So this is episode three. Jacob and I are back today and you're going to want to keep listening in because we're talking today really about why we're seeing so much back pain, understanding why this has become such a big epidemic. And in the UK, it's the second common cause of GP complaint after the common cold. So let's understand why these issues are occurring. Let's talk a little bit about why it's important to diagnose these problems properly and a little bit then around personal training and back pain and some of the approaches that certainly Jacob's taken over in Holland to approach these issues with some of his patients. So welcome back, Jacob. Hi, Ben. How's things over there? Very good, thank you. Yeah, a little rainy, but uh, otherwise it's going very well here in Holland. Good, 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 good. So we talked a lot about your issues and your experience with back pain and how you've kind of come out the other side. We haven't really focused so much today on the bigger picture of back pain. And like I say, it's one of those complaints that we're seeing more and more and more, and it's becoming a bit of an epidemic. And there's been a lot on the news, certainly over here in the UK recently, about sitting and the sedentary nature of kind of work that's potentially having an impact. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, of course, it's not only in the UK. I think it's in most westernized countries where we have a sedentary job and we sit a lot, whether you're driving or sitting behind a computer. And I think it's, it's yeah, that's, you know, if we want to get to the root uh, cause of the problem, I think we have to look at that and we have to address that. And I think that that's... Um, I think that's a much bigger problem than we realize. And I think we're going to see that more and more. And we see it also more and more in uh, students and, and younger children who are not moving enough. So I think that we, I don't think we really understand and know what's heading our way. Um, but I hope we get ahead of this problem. And uh, I hope that from a central point also from the, you know, from governments and institutions there will be a way of looking at it in a different way and addressing the seriousness of it yeah no absolutely i mean we've certainly seen i guess some uh positive change we you see on the market now these movable desks for example so there are some companies that are taking um the kind of occupational uh, health approach and in terms of workstations and how those workstations should be set up to help prevent these issues, etc. And I guess the big question is, well, well, why is sitting and that kind of posture specifically such a big issue? Are we really focusing in on spine flexion? Yeah, spine flexion, especially um, in the low back, but also the loss of flexion, extension or, or movement, mobility in the upper back. We have something, and I'm sure you know this term, it's called the C-R-E-E-P, the creep effect, 
mm-hmm. from the research. And that's where we know that when the when you're sitting or you're in a posture for too long, you know, the for example, in this case, the uh, discs in the low back will actually start losing its natural shape. And yep. that's if it happens for uh, a too long a period, say half an hour or to an hour sitting, not moving in a position which is not natural for your lower back, as you lose that natural position when you sit compared to when you stand, you actually uh, you go into this creep effect. And if you do that on a regular basis, you will have uh, you will have a, a situation where the tissue in your lower back will start getting irritated. You'll have an inflammatory response and from there you'll have uh, maybe scar tissue developing and you lose the movement and things will stiffen up and you know the brain lose the the understanding of the of the potential movement which you should be having and if you do that for a few years then you're heading down the wrong way so i think that's where it goes wrong and um, i think making people aware of that just that aspect you know that if we if we if i look at patients and i look at people who are in this situation usually they think because they don't feel anything in their low back, they don't have any pain, they, they think it's okay. But they do not understand that they have lost a lot of mobility, they've stiffened up, they have some scar tissue. Uh, if I look up end ranges of motion in the low back, they will also, they'll also feel pain. But they generally don't look that up, so they don't know that and they think it's okay. But the underlying problem there is the fact that they're exposing themselves to a massive injury that one time in the beginning of the spring when they pick up something from the floor or they're busy in the garden and they go through their back. And, and that's what we want to try and avoid. Yeah, no, and I think coming back to something you said there, because I think this is important for the guys listening, there's kind of two, there's two elements to this because there's, there's the prevention and how we stop those issues or the stop that serious episode of back pain and help people to be stronger and more in control and there's also the element of okay we're potentially developing some scar tissue we're getting that laxity we're getting that creep how do i reverse that can i reverse that am i in a more vulnerable position if i've been doing that for a couple of years because it's fair to say a lot of people that will be listening with back pain will say well, I've been sat at a desk for two, three years, and now I'm starting to get some back pain. Am I down a path that I can never reverse that? Or can I at least control that and prevent that, you know? Yeah, so there's always light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, we can always improve things. You can imagine if you're sitting a lot and you, let's say you make a drastic change in your life, you quit your job, and you head completely in a different direction. Let's say you don't need uh, or you have the financial means to do it. Of course, it's going to go better with your back. So that just shows that there, there are always, there is always potential to improve your situation. So let's say you don't have the financial means and you are not going to quit your job. Small changes will already make a big difference. You know, if you go for a walk every lunchtime, and you go for a walk after work, you are resetting your posture, which you have been, let's say you've been in a, in a poor posture sitting all day, or you've got a very busy job, or you're sitting in a, a car, or, uh, or you know, you're a delivery man. Uh, 
your body is not really uh, getting the stimulation it needs in terms of mobility and stability training. So by going for a, a half an hour walk at lunch and another half an hour walk after work, you're actually resetting that poor posture throughout the day and your brain is now turning on certain muscles which are giving you the the necessary stability again. You know, that's just a small example, but there, there, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. There's always, there are always things that you can do uh, to get back, uh, which we discussed previously in a, in a podcast before this one, first, as a first step, some stability, and then moving towards uh, regaining some of the mobility. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's talk a little bit more in depth about the prevention and those guys that are doing these repetitive jobs because what we're really saying for these guys is okay you may have noticed a little bit of back discomfort which is no doubt what's drawn you to listening to the podcast and you may have had an episode of of severe back pain which has gone away but you've got a little bit of a concern moving forward what we're really saying to these guys is let's look at developing some healthy habits around the work and the role that you do that's just going to help to prevent this continued kind of creep and this continued deconditioning of some of those soft tissues that are going to potentially result in a, a more serious issue or more serious episode of back pain. Let's develop some habits that are going to help you prevent that and help you understand how you can be a little bit more healthier in, in how you treat your spine at work. That's it. I, those healthy habits, you know, they, they're a good point. And I think there are a lot of people who um, might have a job that's asking a lot of their body, and, but they're still going to the gym. So then we have an, an extra possibility to work with their body and they can use those gym sessions to actually strengthen their body for what they're doing. But the thing, the thing is, in general, I think a lot of people would be going to the gym, for example, thinking about losing weight or getting the heart rate up or doing cardio instead of actually working on creating more stability that's going to protect their, their core, for example. Yeah, so there's a risk here with the guys that are sat all day or they're doing repetitive work as a carpenter or whatever that might be that is contributing to a potentially uh, more serious or significant back issue. These guys are not developing healthy habits at work or not aware of what they could be doing to help support themselves at work. And then they're potentially then going to the gym for different reasons, like you say, to lose weight or just to put on muscle mass and look bigger or whatever that might be. They're already in a state of vulnerability. And then yeah. if they're not taking consideration, then, then they're at real, really more serious risk. Exactly. I think the main focus and awareness should be, you know, decreasing that vulnerability uh, to get injured. And that's also depending on the type of job. You know, if you have an office job, it's going to be different to when you're actually a carpenter, for example. Uh, I, I know a lot. I have some friends and I know some patients uh, quite closely with, who work with their bodies. So, you know, they might be a professional handyman or they do all sorts of physical jobs. And I know at the end of the day, usually they are not, you know, they're not up for any physical training. They've had their physical training for the day. At least that's how they feel. So then they want to relax and recover and 
the next day, you know, they have an, another physical day at work. So for them, it, it would be much better to actually think about how they do their job. You know, I mean, half kneeling, teaching, teaching them the bracing technique, uh, um, making sure that when they're in an in a, in a awkward position that they're not compromising anything in their body. But if you're someone who sits behind a desk, then we are looking more at the creep effect, which we discussed, you know, that's prolonged position holding of whichever part of your spine, whether it's hanging with your head and shoulders forward or, you know, just the fact that you're sitting and not using your core. So you lose all the, all the muscle uh, protection in your low back. So then you, you get that creep effect. So then that, that person needs to do something different to make sure that they decrease the vulnerability of getting injured. Okay, and I guess for the for the guys listening, where there's going to be a lot of variability in work and things like we know, back pain isn't. There's not a simple solution for everybody. There's not a simple solution for every issue. In terms of prevention, initially, and we'll come on to the diagnosis of patients that have got a a more serious or significant episode of back pain for those guys that might be sat at a desk or there's the carpenter or there's the delivery driver whatever that might be are there there's some common things that these guys could all be doing that's going to contribute to back health and injury prevention rather than as say well okay specific jobs need specific things if that makes sense just to try and give some overall uh, support and advice i guess yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm much more keen on going on the specific advice, but I think if you, if you think of general advice, it might be different what, than what we think. I think the first thing would be, the first thing would be to drink enough water. You know, I, I, I have a lot of patients who, um, I have a plasterer and I know, you know, he doesn't drink enough water. When I tell him, he says he's going to do it, but if you're dehydrated, the whole day working with your body, that's not a good idea. So drinking enough water and, uh, for example, drinking less coffee, that would make a lot of sense as a start. And how's that going to help everybody? What's the, what's the impact of that? Are we saying that the hydration is impacting uh, intervertebral discs, impacting muscles? What's the, what's the key rationale for the guys listening? Yeah, so the first thing you mentioned it there is if you want to hydrate the disc, you need to have enough fluid in your body we know that there's research on that so that's important that you make sure you have enough fluid in your body to hydrate the disc secondly um, the lymphatic system is very important and that's especially important if you want to uh, recover faster and the lymphatics it works with the muscle pump system unlike the heart so when you use a muscle you push the lymph onwards when you're dehydrated that's that's going to go slower than usual so if you're somebody who works with your body all day, you need the recovery from day to day. So you need to try and have uh, enough fluid in your body to uh, help the lymphatic system drain quicker. And so you're going to recover better for the next day. Okay, so hydration, we're saying, is a, is a key thing for, for anybody in any role. And what about waking up in the morning? We know that uh, when we sleep, we get some uh, impact on discs because we're not putting pressure on the discs, for example. So when we're getting up in the morning and those first activities, those first 30 minutes of the day are, are contributing to a reduction in disc height, which we'll all experience once we 
we get out of bed. Is there advice we can give them first thing in the morning? Try not get straight in the car where you're sitting down. Or those simple tasks, those simple activities first thing in the morning that could be having a detrimental impact that we want to be aware of. Absolutely. Um, So let's just back up there for a moment and, and let's explain what happens with the spine when you, for example, sleep overnight after you've had a busy day, you know, I mean, even if you go for a hard workout, you know, you've done some squats or lifting or you've carried sandbags, so you put a lot of strain on the spine. Uh, obviously, the, the, fir- the first thing that has to happen after that is the recovery process. So usually you'll wake up the next day with a, a stiffer back because you've used your back a lot the previous day. You know that from when you work in the garden or when you've done something physical, usually if, if, if you're don't work with your body and you've had a physical day doing stuff, the next day you will feel it. You know, you'll be stiffened up a little bit. So, so then, if we look at somebody who works with their body, you know, they have a physical job, they're, they're going to have that quite often. They're going to have different tasks every day and the next day they're going to wake up and they're going to be stiffer in one part of their body. So let's say that's the back. So we've been lifting stuff, we've been, um, uh, we've been using our back to, um, to do our job. So, a part of the process and the recovery process there is sometimes you get a little bit of swelling at the tissues. You can have that at the disc or at the muscles or, or the tendons along the spine. And so when you go to bed, there will be fluid building up around the spine, around the discs and the muscles, which means that, uh, you know, that's, that's the recovery process. But you are lying horizontal, so there's no pressure on the, on the actual spine. Which means it's okay, you know, you're moving in bed with this fluid in these places built up and it's not necessarily a problem. But because you've not been moving for seven or eight hours, when you stand up in the morning, that accumulated fluid is now in the way when you go from horizontal to vertical. So you get the pressure on the tissues, on the discs. Um, and the discs, we, it's worth mentioning, the discs are also... Uh, accumulating more fluid. That's what they try to do the whole time. But when you're horizontal, they're able to do that. But when you stand up in the morning, that little bit of swelling, which was part of the recovery process, together with the fluid in your discs, will come under pressure and you will feel that. And you'll feel uh, stiffness and you may feel a little bit of pain and it will restrict movement. So the first thing you need to do is actually move in an upright uh, manner, you know, just walking, for example, do your thing. So that you can, for the first 30 minutes, maybe sometimes it will take more, 45 minutes, you've got to pump away the, the fluid, again, through the lymphatic system by using your muscles. You know, you might be twisting your body a little bit, just standing in the kitchen preparing breakfast. That should be enough. And after 30, 45 minutes, you'll have uh, most of your range of motion, the freedom to move, you'll have that back. Um, if you would, for example, get up in the morning and, uh, you know, maybe you've showered the night before, quickly get dressed in the morning after waking up, and you get in a car within 10 minutes, you'll still have a lot of accumulated fluid, and you'll be sitting in a car with your low back um, slouching to a certain degree, hopefully not too much. With all this fluid accumulated along the spine and in your discs, you will have extra pressure, and that will make you more vulnerable to tissue damage and irritation. Maybe you already have a little bit of irritation. So 
that's a very good point. I think you need to take care. And in the morning, you need to listen to your body. Maybe you've had a busy day. Previous, the previous day was a very physical day and your spine needs to recover. So in the morning, you need to move and get those fluids pumped away before you get in the car and, or do something physical. Yeah, yeah. So what, really what we're saying to people is, is a good, I guess, healthy morning habit would be to get up and rather than go straight to the kettle, have a cup of coffee and then jump in the car, we're saying get a bit of hydration in, get some water in early and try and take the opportunity to have a walk or at least not get straight in the car within the first 30 minutes of the day you know yes there'd be really healthy habits that everybody could do and there'll be a lot of people say ah the time and the, so set the alarm a little bit earlier you know if if yeah. if your health and your back health is important then these are very simple things that actually could make a big difference Absolutely, absolutely. And especially if you have a little bit of back irritation, that's exactly what you want to do. Make a little bit of time for a short 10, 15 minute walk. I mean, you do that and you'll feel a massive difference. Absolutely. For sure. People, yeah. people who have a, have a dog will tell you um, how good it is when they have to take the dog for a walk in the morning before they leave for work. Yeah. And, uh, and the ideal then is to, with that in mind and with those two factors considered, how can we introduce some of that throughout the day so we're going into work having had a walk and given ourselves 30 minutes we've had some hydration we're taking some water to work so we're going to be conscious of that throughout the day yeah you might have a lot of meetings or you might be laying flooring or whatever you're doing but let's try and between those transitions at work let's say you're moving from one meeting to another or you're um, you're on your lunch break trying to walk again, trying to reset that posture, trying to be mindful of that posture and give yourself those micro breaks throughout the day, again, are all going to contribute to a much more healthy back throughout the day. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just to reiterate uh, the point of before, you know, you asked for um, possible specific adjustments that somebody could make to be less vulnerable um, for injury. And that's exactly what I said. The typical uh, desk person would want to walk more, maybe lunchtime or after work, to get more movement and to, to pump away a little bit of accumulated swelling from sitting still and to, uh, you know, to, to get rid of the creep effect, uh, tissues changing form in the spine, for example. And your, uh, your guy who works uh, physical, I mean, I think he, the first objective there would be to help him become aware of how to brace, how to use his core. Um, if he would bend through his back, how he can uh, lock the core in that bent low back position so he doesn't actually damage the disc. And um, if he would go to the gym and train, maybe we should look at training the posterior chain, the glutes and the hamstrings. So that when he bends over, picking things up or doing something in a, in a strange posi position, that he's not actually uh, getting the power from his back, but actually getting the power from his, his glutes and his hamstring. Absolutely. Absolutely. And back to the um, water um, discussion. How much water are we saying? Because the, 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 the evidence kind of 
varies or the guidelines or recommendations vary, but I think it's fair to say from the conversations I've had with people, we're drinking far, far too little. And actually, some of the advice is, is really we should be drinking around two litres per day. How many people are honestly and can honestly say that they're doing and committing to that amount? Yeah. Probably very little. Not a lot. And I think um, another thing is water retention. Uh, there's very conflicting evidence and things uh, of, of yeah, information when we speak about salt, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to get the name right of this. Uh, uh, I think it's Dr. James De Nicolantino, uh, the researcher who wrote the salt fix uh, uh, recently. He was also interviewed by uh, Rob Wolf, very good podcast. And well, basically what he says is that you need to get enough salt in your body if you want to lose water retention. So you want to get rid of water retention. And I think a lot of people... Because I hear a lot of patients say when they when they get told to drink more water that if they drink more water they have to go uh, more often to the toilet at night, and I think that has to do with with water retention. So my suggestion there would be, and this is also my finding uh, when I work with patients who who have that, is to try and have some salt, have a little bit more salt, good quality salt, you know, uh, a Celtic sea salt or something like that. Uh, opposed to a normal table salt, and see what that does, if if that helps you to lose some of the water retention. And the other tip I would give there is to have the two liters of water, or a liter and a half, depending on the size of your body, before five o'clock. And, you know, not try, um, not, not forget that you, not forget to drink water, and then trying to make up for it in the evening. Yes, yeah, exactly. Don't just... Uh suddenly try and drink two litres at seven o'clock at night because actually we need it consistently throughout the day. Exactly. And just to clear up, you, you, you mentioned about water retention, preventing water retention. Are you saying preventing, preventing water retention issues? Because surely we're, we're trying to retain more water and that's what salt's doing. Actually, salt helps to um, get rid of water retention. Okay. So, and then, and then I'm talking about water retention and tissues where we don't want it. So you will see that a lot of people will have water retention in their legs, and especially I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah. w- women around uh, their period, and especially some of the older people will also have water retention. And I think that has to do with uh, poor digestion and, and, and maybe the gut not working. High insulin. And, you know, we're opening up a completely different conversation here, but yeah, yeah, uh, that, that would go more into also looking at somebody's diet. Yes, and I was going to say that that's certainly going to be something we'll focus on in another episode and the, the impact on, uh, the wider impact of nutrition as a whole, as opposed to just um, the, the water and with it salt debate. Um, yeah. And I, so... To, to clear up the point, when we're talking water retention, we're saying we, we want to retain water because a lot of people are going to say, well, if I drink two litres of water, I'm going to just be going to the toilet every day. Actually, what we want to do is some some additional salt in the diet is going to help us to retain the water within the body, but it's not going to be uh, distributed in the wrong areas. Exactly, exactly. And the wrong tissues. 
Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's there's some key golden nuggets for people to um, to develop and to um, use as habits, really day to day that that could contribute to better overall back health, which is great, which is what people want to hear. And then I guess moving on then to the people that have had a serious issue or have a serious issue of back pain currently, or that they certainly perceive as as being a serious issue, these uh, uh, advice, if you like, that we've we've been given could help. But in terms of that diagnosis and and getting an accurate diagnosis, what is it that you're finding that you're doing that is so important, and what some of the other practitioners out there are maybe missing, which gives the guys listening an opportunity to challenge um, the practitioners they may be seeing or maybe looking to see. Uh, to to ensure that they're going to make an improvement. Yes, um, I think. The, yeah, that we we discussed this a little bit in the previous podcast. Also, that's a very good question. I, I think that you know, as a patient, you should not want to be after a quick fix. I mean, sometimes it's easy to want to have a quick fix because you're in pain. And it makes a lot of sense, you know. I, I want to be, I want to get out of pain, and that's your. That's the, that's the primary goal. But then, when we dig a little, little bit deeper, um, there's obviously a cause, and we want to take care of that cause. And, you know, for some people, it would be a pain they've had numerous times in the same place, which means that the cause isn't really being taken care of. And um, I think that's what people should want to see in a, in a practitioner or a therapist, somebody that is looking for the cause of the problem, especially when they make a diagnosis. Um, you know, when you go to a practitioner, you, you want to be aware of what they are testing. And even if you have to ask a few questions to find out what exactly they're after or what they're finding, and you should expect to uh, have a little uh, explanation of what the problem is and what uh, what causes the problem. I always try my best to make them as aware uh, as possible of, of the cause. You know, I try not to do it, um, not to give too much of an uh, explanation because sometimes you'll lose them uh, in the explanation or discussion. But as long as they get the main reason for why they have a problem and, and why it keeps coming back, um, they get it. And when they get it, I think that just increases the, the strength of the healing process because, um, I, you know, you, I, I want them to be actively uh, part of the, the recovery. And whether that's following a few uh, tips or guidelines that I suggest they follow, like what we just discussed today, or whether it's actually, you know, enrolling on a, on a personal training program where we're really uh, changing things in their body and in their mindset. But I think that's the main thing that they got to look for is to see if they get that explanation and that understanding of why the, the problem keeps coming back. And then, you know, you got to be listening for what is what exactly is this person's plan with me and doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I, we, we mentioned before how um, increasingly it's 
important is certainly in this age where we've got so much knowledge at our fingertips that people want to have a better understanding of what's going on want they want to be invested in their rehabilitation they want to understand and kind of contribute to that which i think we'd agree is actually essential given that if you're going to improve over the long term and show consistent gains and show consistent resilience to um, further issues then you have to be involved in it because there's an active element of treatment that is so important here absolutely i, I think active physically uh, but also active mentally if people are actively uh, busy with it in their head and their attitude towards getting better the outcome's just going to be better absolutely and, and it's probably a good point and a good time to discuss the the role you're playing over um, in Nijmegen with regards to the personal training element that um, it, you, is in a part of your work and uh, not just as a chiropractor specifically but with the local CrossFit gym where I think we both agree there's some fantastic opportunities in terms of fitness but there's also some real risks with some of the things that we've seen in that CrossFit environment. Yeah, so exactly that. That's those are there are two things there. The the one is the aspect of rehabilitation of patients in the in the gym, which I do through personal training, and the second thing is the the actual athletes that I work with, people who train in the CrossFit gym. Um, so those are two completely uh, different things, and I'll just speak about the first one. So the patients um, I see in the in the gym, you know, I, I would generally treat them a few times, and then I'll already start with basic exercises to get get the communication between the brain and the muscle groups that are needed to recover to get that going. And then when they're ready, uh, depending on their own goal, because we'll always go according to what they. Uh, have in store for themselves in terms of uh, improvement. And then we'll we'll go to the gym and we'll do a one-on-one -on -one hour session and then we'll work on those uh, drills and quite often we'll use some of the equipment in the gym uh, to start strengthening the, the parts of the body that's probably been weak for quite a long time. Um, sometimes people will stay on and, and keep training at the gym and sometimes they, you know, that would have been enough for them. But I think the important thing there, for me at least, is to open up their, uh, to, to make their world a little bit bigger in terms of seeing what is possible. Because quite a lot of them would never have associated with a CrossFit gym or, um, you know, doing the sort of exercises that we do using a kettlebell or getting on a GHD, doing a Sorensen hold or, or a hip thruster or stuff like that. So... I think that's very good because all of a sudden they, they've entered a world um, in, a, in a safe process without scaring them and where they're getting, uh, you know, where they get the feeling that this is absolutely not for me. They've tried it and maybe they will continue with it because they would have generally uh, gotten good results. So that's the one side of it the other side of it is the uh, so the, just to yeah. just to jump in sorry jacob there's a there's a there's an added benefit there from a social point of view that we're saying that you know some people that 
previously may have not felt that these environments were access- accessible um, suddenly become that little bit less uh, daunting. And actually there's, there's a little bit of science uh, and behind the benefits to them. But the great thing for those guys that do transition into maybe doing the CrossFit or going to the gym is that they've had the treatment from you and they've kind of had that continuum of care to give them the foundation that means when they go on to train, they're going to be in a far better position than, let's face it, a lot of the guys that are just going straight into training and then themselves getting issues. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's often I have, um, in because I work in collaboration with the owners of the CrossFit gym, if they have somebody doing the on-ramp, you know, the uh, first the, the starting program of uh, exposing the, the movements to, to people that they do for the first month before they actually start uh, doing the wads at the CrossFit gym. If they notice that somebody's got an injury, long-term injury, or, you know, it's not good, then generally they would send that person to me. And so I've worked with a few people like that also. And then uh, maybe it will take six months if it was a radiating nerve issue down the leg or maybe we'll take shorter, but then I would prepare these people in a way that would make it, uh, well, give them the feeling that it's a lot more safe to start doing CrossFit now, instead of just going and, and, and you know, going all out and getting injured again. But uh, for what I wanted to say is for a lot of people, um, the... I think it's a real benefit that they they enter this environment with the idea that it's safe and with the comfort or the uh, the reassurance that I'm actually guiding them. And I think that's a big deal. And um, I would really, I wish I could see a lot more of that where, um, you know, somebody who's not gen- in general, somebody who's generally not very strong or, or never thought that they would actually touch weights now go into a gym and, and do these sort of exercises in a very controlled manner, of course. But I wish I could see a lot more of that happen. Yeah, and I was going to say you, you, you've the guys over in uh, in Nijmegen in the CrossFit gym you particularly work have have clearly had the foresight to see the benefits of what you can offer at the beginning of that journey for a lot of their potential clients. Uh, do you think that's a a negative or an area of CrossFit that isn't considered because you see a lot of these gyms popping up, which is great from a getting people into exercise and giving people the option to to exercise in a different way because there are going to be people that don't just want to go to a, a, a more traditional gym, shall we say, and, and therefore CrossFit is really appealing and really beneficial to those guys. But are we saying that potentially there isn't enough of a focus on the foundations of movement within those gyms and therefore people can be put at unnecessary risk if they're just going into the, the kind of CrossFit workout of the day um, situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll give you an example. I have a friend here in Holland. He's a chiropractor. Um, he knows a fair bit about uh, movement quality and so on and he started at a CrossFit gym. Never, he's never, he has never done something like that before. He's done a little bit of calisthenics and, and things like that. But he started at a CrossFit gym a, a few months ago, and after a couple of months, he ended up leaving because 
um, he was getting injured himself and uh, simply because he went with the flow of things and um, having discussions with some of the trainers didn't go well and my my impression there was that these people were not open to some of the things that he was he was telling them and in the end he got injured and he left and i think there is a big uh discrepancy and a big room for improvement in this field and i think there are a lot of gyms that can actually look for somebody actually make some effort find somebody who has a different understanding to them coming from a different uh, perspective to help them uh, filter through the people that maybe need more attention before they actually go on this uh, very quite quite often very intensive uh, training experience called crossfit yeah um you know because let's be honest if i look at the people starting at the crossfit gym where i am more than half of them, maybe even 75% or even more, does not come from a very good quality movement background. You know, quite often they, they sit behind a desk, um, you know, they have a job that's already been, for a few years, that has already been robbing them from the quality of movement which they have built up from their childhood. Maybe they were not that fortunate and they didn't do that many sports or they didn't have the freedom to do it. Um, and so they haven't developed very well in terms of movement and now they get into a CrossFit gym and we're doing very, uh, very technical movements with weight and against time. So if you think about it, it can be, it's the ideal, uh, recipe for disaster. And if you don't identify certain things that needs to be in place before you start doing this then that recipe just becomes even stronger. So having a little screening process of checking whether these people are actually able to move properly, stabilize or have the mobility is essential actually. So I think a lot of gyms have um, actually, especially CrossFit gyms, they, it's their responsibility to find somebody with the expertise to assist them in that. And it, you know, I think quite often they see it as a, they might see it as a threat, you know, because it's their gym and, you know, why would they get somebody like a chiropractor or a movement specialist to help them out with this? But in fact, my experience is that it actually just, it only strengthens the whole, uh, whatever they're offering. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's again, having that bigger vision of um, taking that responsibility and, being conscious of the the individuals that are going to be attending and not just looking at the business side of where well, we want to get people into our gym let's look after the people that come into our gym because actually over the longer term they're going to be more resilient to injury and therefore they're going to more likely continue with a membership over the longer term and sometimes business owners in many industries don't take consideration of these kind of factors today so and and to be clear we're not we're not knocking uh, crossfit we've we've both done um activities and fitness at crossfit gyms some of the a activities we we absolutely support some of them were the, that we would advise against but i think it it certainly makes fitness very much accessible for a lot of people in a different way that is um, really beneficial for for certain types of individuals and personalities but what we're saying is we're seeing a number of injuries as a result of some of this um, 
pretty intense work and therefore just be careful at the outset that that you're aware of uh, of some of these movement patterns that are so important in terms of resilience to injury and particularly when you're somebody that maybe is at a desk all day and has taken consideration of what we're saying about the potential tissue creep etc to then go into that environment you are putting yourself at risk if you don't have some foundations in place or knowledge in place to help support that journey exactly yeah um yeah uh coming back to the financial issue uh, at our gym for example we have a very low rate of injury and i'm very uh, proud to say that actually you know i know about the crossfit gyms where people um get injured a lot more simply because of what we've just spoken about and at our gym we have a you know i'm very proud of the guys and they the fact that they're so open especially the owners to uh, this kind of approach and the influence I've had uh, on them and, you know, the fact that they're so open to the seminars that I've suggested we go to. and So they've applied a lot of these things and you see it the whole time throughout the workouts and the, and the, and the lessons that they give. It's uh, very much focused on the core and, you know, working in a neutral and um, and staying away from from things that are actually, you know, just wearing joints more than it should, especially if people are not stable. So yes, yeah. also identifying who is who are the people that you work with, and uh, you know, not not trying to build people that's going to compete at the European Championships mm-hmm. when you have um, uh, you know your general office people and and general people training in your gym. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as we kind of uh, indicated at the outset, starting these podcasts, that's really where we want to take this a little bit further and become a little bit more specific in terms of some of these exercises and some of the um, things that we can advise that are going to help people a little bit further. But, um, you know, to summarize today, really what we're saying is, you know, some key nuggets of information that can help in terms of resilience, keeping hydrated, being conscious of that movement in the first 30 minutes of the day, taking those micro breaks throughout the day. And then for the guys that have been in pain and discomfort, and maybe you've seen a practitioner, you've got out of discomfort, you've got out of pain, look at that continuation of care in terms of your movement, in terms of the overall core strength. And in doing so, you're going to be far, far more resilient and far, far healthier. You're going to feel in much more control moving forward, much more confident, and as a result, you know that can only be that can only be a beneficial thing. So, thanks again, Jacob, and you know we'll see you all again on the podcast and future podcasts. And uh, as we continue, uh, take the opportunity to uh, like and comment on um, on the podcast on iTunes. That's only going to help to get other people. Um, aware of what we're doing, aware of what we're trying to trying to achieve, and uh, overall, you know, help a lot more people with with back health, and plug some of those gaps that we see are are missing out there that uh, that will help uh, far more people in the population. So thanks again, Jacob, and uh, you, we'll catch up again soon. soon.